Good to see you. I hope your summer is going well. Uh, so we're in the Sermon on the Mount and literally in the heart of it. And Jesus is addressing the topic now of uh, treasures and uh, money. And so uh, we get to this section, and you remember this is 19 to 24, so it's about the right in the middle of chapter 6, this little section. Treasures sort of start the whole theme out, but then it ends in money, and so you can see uh, where it's headed. Last week we looked at there's two different kinds of treasures, Jesus says. And then today we look at there's two perspectives, and then there are two masters at the end of it. Uh, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where, must and, where moths and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then today we're looking at the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So you can see there's two kinds of treasures, there's two kinds of visions, or two kinds of, you know, uh, perspectives, and then two kinds of masters. Uh, so you, we saw that there are significant implications when it comes to uh, this topic, uh, both spiritually and eternally. So Jesus is, again, presenting two alternatives, earthly and heavenly uh, things. And so two different approaches to life. And he's made the point that one is lasting and one is not. And we have this spatial figures of earth and heaven to suggest uh, the direction or trajectory of your life. Whether it's headed toward earthly things or heavenly things. So you are moving toward and going toward what you treasure. That's the direction of your life. You and your treasure are linked eternally. This is, these are sobering thoughts. Uh, linked for all eternity. So you get this verse here. Let's see, is this it? Yeah, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Uh, and we said last week, certainly you don't imagine that you'll end up somewhere where your heart isn't. You're going where it's going. Um, so money doesn't just reveal what's in your heart, which is typically how we understand this text. It reveals where your heart ends up. So, uh, this, is, this is why I think Willard writes this. We're not to pass off the whole topic of treasures as something that's just an external topic, just dealing with material goods, external goods, which are not spiritual at all. You know, it's just physical stuff. He says, don't pass that off as not spiritual. 
Because to deal with it, he writes, is to deal with the fundamental structure of our souls. The whole topic will deal with the fundamental structure of your soul. It has to do with precisely whether the life we live now in the physical realm is to be an eternal one or not. And the extent to which it will be so. Uh, it's very possible that you sit here today and you don't even view money as a spiritual issue at all. You, you just don't connect. You keep your faith and your treasure separated. Now, that's easy to do for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, but you're just, maybe you're just not willing to see the connection. I spent a good portion of my, the first years of my spiritual life after college this way. I don't know if it's because I didn't want to see the connection or I just refused to. And it affected the economics of my life for a good period of time. I won't go into all that. I've done it before with you, but... So I know it's very possible to do. It's very possible to love God, to serve him, and yet keep money out of the equation completely. But Jesus is trying to say it's a very dangerous thing to do uh, because money reveals a couple of things about. It reveals, according to this text, it reveals what you see and it reveals who you serve. So you can't get away from that. So whatever you want to do, whatever you think about the topic of treasures and money, it will clearly tell you what you see and who you serve. And this is the reason Jesus talked the most about it, because it's just the clearest window into those spiritual realities. Now, it's very possible that you're, you're, you're past experience um, in church or religion or whatever it is has turned you off to this topic. Uh, so you, one of the reasons you keep your faith and your, the whole topic of money separate is to just sort of block it out. If I'm going to have anything to do with God and the church, I'm going to have to block this topic out because I'm so sick of the way I have seen it dealt with. And I'm going to tell you, I get it, because I've seen sick stuff myself. Uh, somehow we have to figure out how to hear Jesus on this. So maybe you can even block my voice out. Block all the voices in your past out. And just try to hear what Jesus says about it. So here's what he writes. Now, after he tells us what the treasures are, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So now Jesus shifts from treasures to perspective. So let's, I got a little visual here for you because in the text you go from the the heart idea then Jesus brings up this metaphor of the eye and then the body 
So you can see Jesus is making the same moves he's been making all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. You go from inward to outward. Okay, what the body's going to do. So you can see there's a lot of things going on here that dictate what you do. Jesus knows that. And Jesus is not interested in religion where you just do things, but it's not connected to the inside. The inside matters. So it's a movement from inside out. Jesus has already told us our heart is connected to treasures. Now he's going to bring up another metaphor to try to talk about your spiritual condition. Because you cannot talk about your spiritual condition in any way without including economics. This is a profound thing to hear. You are measuring your spiritual life by thousands of things every day. If you block out your economics, you really missed it. Jesus is going to tell us, how dark is that? How great of a darkness is that if you can't see it? So it's a profound reality that we're talking about here. Uh, So the eye gives us a great picture and a figure for your spiritual condition. Because it relates to the ability to do two things. Uh, I won't even write them. To receive information and to perceive. So you're going to receive information, you're going to perceive reality. Jesus just talked about two treasures. How well do you see the difference between those two? And to what degree does it impact how you do life? So your eye is going to dictate that. So the spiritual issue is how well do you perceive? How well do you receive information and can perceive reality? Uh, And so he says the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, the metaphor is, is a little funky if you tease out all the details of it. It's a little bit funky. Uh, and commentators really uh, go back and forth on this. You've got to get through some of the funkiness and just real... It's, at the end of the day, it's simple. Uh, your body can move more easily in life and in your environment and in reality if you can see. Okay? Uh, the, eye, the lamp of the body is the eye. I mean, the body can move far more easily when there's light. Okay? So Jesus is saying, I am the great revealer of reality. I just told you about, I just shined a light on treasures and I told you there's two kinds. That's like a light shining for you. So Jesus is saying, I'm a bright shining light. I'm exposing the truth about treasures. So that you can navigate your environment, and especially a dark environment, a dark world. You need my light to navigate the dark world. And some can see it and some can't. And so Jesus says, you know, there's two kinds of eyes. Uh, if your eye is healthy, 
well, then your body will be full of light. You'll be able to move about pretty well in the light. You'll have this internal kind of light in your body that allows the body to move. But then there's also a bad eye. This is where we get good eye and bad eye. Your whole body will be in darkness, and you can't move about really well. In reality, in, in, in the environment of reality. Uh, so let's talk about the good and the bad eye. These are kind of interesting. So let's compare the two. Uh, you, you see this word. So there's sort of a uh, debate between whether there's a medical or, or, or an ethical image. Or maybe they're combined. And I think they're kind of combined because when you use the word that's used for the healthy eye, or the bad eye. This one can be a medical image or it can be an ethical image. And they're kind of combined because it's really hard not to see them together. So a good eye is translated a healthy eye. And by the way, the word for it, the word for this can literally mean all of these. It can mean healthy, which would mean if you have a bad eye, your eye is sick. Okay, infected, something's wrong with it. If, uh, it can also mean single-minded, focused. And so in this case, if your eye is bad, you've got a double, double vision, which is not good. You don't know what reality is. Uh, the word can also be generous. It can mean generous. And in this context, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you can see how all these images sort of kind of fit within the context. Good and, good and bad, healthy or, healthy or sick, single-minded or double-minded, or generous or stingy. So at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, we're talking about a guy who's either generous or stingy. That's the practical outcome. And it's all based on how he sees or whether or not he can see. So the eye lights the, respon- uh, lights the path for response. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, I read an article. It was not actually, it was in December. So it's been about six months, maybe more than that now. Uh, what you're really worried about when you're worried about money by Arthur Brooks. Uh, and it was a, there was some surveys in it. Worthy article for sure. We'll refer to it again probably in the fall. But uh, he 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 referred to a number of surveys during the pandemic. How how much people worried about money? And there were a number of surveys from insurance companies and different things like that that uh, uh, that Brooks cites. Anyway, he says this. Um, during the pandemic, this is the only line I'm going to use from the article. We'll, we'll, we'll look at the rest of it later. During the pandemic, we were five times more likely to worry about our money than our health. Okay, so I read that and I'm going, okay, I'm hearing Jesus here going, I need you to worry about your health. The, the, the money will become clear, you see. And it was just an interesting correlation because, we, because money becomes so much the focus We don't see and perceive reality the way Jesus does. 
spiritual health gives the right perspective on money. And Jesus is essentially saying, I can really help you see what you ought to value and what you shouldn't value. What you shouldn't overvalue, but what you should supervalue, as we said last week. And this is no small thing. This is no small thing. I mean, how many times have you read about, I just recently read about one, I can't even remember what it was, where somebody has something very valuable and sells it at a garage sale. Something is in their possession that is very valuable and it gets, it gets scooped up by somebody with a good what? Eye. I have some friends who have that kind of eye. Do you have a friend like that? I have a friend who can spot something valuable, and it just looks like trash to me. It just looks like trash to me. Uh, and so, have you seen, uh, I, I love this topic, by the way. I love this whole topic of the visual. And did, have you seen this? This is an image that's been out, it's come out many times. Uh, but you've got you to find the second tiger in the image. And I won't give it away. You can go have fun with it. Um, uh, you've got to find the hidden tiger is basically what you've got to do. Um, it's an illusion. It's just one of those illusions that forces you to, uh, to do. Um, but let me, let me read something to you. You know what? I'm going to do this because you're going to be just looking for it now. <laughs> All right, I'm going dark. I'm going dark on you. I'll come back to it, okay? <laughs> I want you to hear something about this whole study of optics and perception because it is a field. I mean, it is a massive field. Well, listen. So here's what, these, here, here's what's said about this kind of illusion. Optical illusions are often just a bit of fun, but they also hold real value for scientists. Okay, the brain puzzles help researchers shed light on the inner workings of the mind and how it reacts to surroundings. So in 2017, scientists Kim Ransley and Alex Holcomb of the University of Sydney highlighted the importance of illusions to our understanding of the brain. So something's happening when you're looking at that illusion. Visual illusions show us that we do not have direct access to reality. You can look at something and not see it. You see what I'm saying? Okay? You don't have direct access to reality. That's a really important statement. How many times am I looking at life and I'm not seeing reality? How many times are you nuts in a day? Okay? It's quite often that you're nuts in a day. And I love that thought. So they can also provide an inkling of the mental processing that delivers our experience of the, of the viewable world. Okay? Uh, indeed, it is the processing happening inside our brains that is the basis for many illusions. Rather than delivering information from our eyes in nearly raw form as a camera would, the brain tries to determine what is actually out there. Your brain's working to, you know, to, to sort of take the information that your eye is giving it. 
And when the information, this is a great line, this is a great spiritual line. All of this is like just reinforcing everything Jesus is trying to say. So smart. He's so smart. Isn't he? He's so smart. The whole study of optics wasn't around when Jesus was doing this. I bet the word optic wasn't even invented yet. When the information entering the eye is ambiguous, the brain must make educated guesses. And I mean, you think about that spiritually and you're like, that's scary. That I don't see reality, I'm just making educated guesses. How much of my spiritual life is just an educated guess? Because I'm not seeing reality as Jesus has taught me to see it. Just profound. Um, uh, we're great on time today. I thought we would have a little fun. Because I'm going to get done early today, I'm just going to tell you. All right? Don't hold me to it. I'm just saying it's really possible today. Um, because we're just looking at these two verses in this whole idea of the eye. And so I thought I'd have a little bit of fun with you if you're open to it. So when I went to see, when I went to see Jordan Peterson, um, I can't remember how many months ago it was. It was a Christmas gift for my kids. Mike and I, my son and I went and watched him. And, and he started out with this whole issue of perception. He said, for the last five years of my life, I have given myself to the number one topic of perception. That's his thing. And so he mentioned a book. He said one of my favorite books on the topic was The Ecological Approach to, the, to Visual Perception. And I go, well, that title is not very enticing. <laughs> but I got it because I'm a glutton for punishment. And if you struggle to sleep, this is the answer to your problems. This is it right here, I promise you. So I have, it's taken me months, okay? I saw him six months ago, easy, I don't know, somewhere around there, five, six months ago. So I'm treading through this baby like a, I mean, so much of it. He's a clinical psychologist dealing with the whole issue of, uh, of visual perception and cognitive psychology. So it's the issue of what you see versus how your brain processes it and all this kind of stuff. At the end of the day, the reason that I'm drawn to it is because of the issue of meaning, how meaning gets discovered through the eyes and perception. So is meaning something that's already inside of you? Is it something you have to perceive, something external to you and how the eye and all that kind of stuff functions? And for that reason, it's really interesting. Now, if you're up for it, I want to read you what I read this morning. Are you up for it? In the mood, just have a little fun before we get really, it's going to be painful here in a little while. But right now, let's have some fun. Okay, so just try to follow along with these images because the images are really great. And I love what he says because I just think it's spiritually profound. That's the reason I, I tread through this is to find the spiritual connection to it. So here's what he says. If there's information in the ambient light, so he's... So this is the whole study of optics and light, how light influences what you see, which is essentially all that Jesus is talking about in this text, how light influences how you see and perceive things. So hang with me here and see if you can uh, enjoy this. Uh, so when you're looking at something, you get information. You get information, right? But he says you also get misinformation. So according to the theory being developed, if information is picked up, perception results. If misinformation is picked up, misperception results. 
Okay? This is essentially what Jesus is saying. You either see it or you don't see it. You misperceive or perceive. So, let's have... The brink of a cliff... The reason I like this is because it's visuals. The, The brink of a cliff affords falling off. It is, in fact, dangerous, and it looks dangerous to us. It seems to look dangerous to many other terrestrial animals besides ourselves, including infant animals. Experimental studies have been made of this fact. If a sturdy sheet of plate glass is extended over the, over the edge of a cliff, it no longer affords falling, and it, in fact, is not dangerous, but it may still look dangerous. The optical information to specify depth downward at an edge is still present in the ambient light. The light still shows what's down there, and it feels like you can fall, right? So um, for this reason, the device was called a visual cliff. Haptic information was available to specify an adequate surface of support, but there was contradictory, but it was contradictory to the optical information. When human infants at the crawling stage of locomotion were tested with this apparatus, many of them would pat the glass with their hands, but they would not venture out on the surface. You liking this so far? Are you with me? It's kind of fun, isn't it? This guy's nuts. So he goes, the babies misperceived the affordance. That's his word for this. Don't don't worry about it. It's a whole chapter to explain what the word means. I'm not doing that with you right now. The whole idea is just basically the substance. Just use the word substance. The babies misperceived the substance of a transparent surface for support, and the result is not surprising. Because you misperceived it, you wouldn't go out on it. Similarly, an adult can misperceive the affordance of a sheet of glass by mistaking a closed glass door for an open doorway. (laughs) This is greatness, isn't it? I knew you'd love it. I knew you would love this book. And then you attempt to walk through it. He then crashes into the barrier and is injured. The affordance of collision was not specified by the outflow of optical texture in the array, or it was insufficiently specified. He mistook glass for air. The the, uh, the occluding edges of the doorway were specified in the empty visual solid angle, opened up symmetrically in the normal manner as he approached, so his behavior was properly controlled, but the imminence of collision was not noticed. A little dirt on the surface or highlights would have saved him. These two cases are instructive. They are. They're illustrating what Jesus is saying. In the first, a surface of support was mistaken for air because the optic array specified air. In the second case, a barrier was mistaken for air for the same reason. Air downward affords falling and is dangerous. Air forward affords passage and is safe. I wouldn't go out on that glass. I went right through this glass. Two pieces. (laughs) This is what he says. The mistaken perceptions led to inappropriate actions. That's essentially what Jesus is saying, isn't he? Errors in the perception of the surface of support are serious for terrestrial animal. If it's quicksand, it could be mistaken for sand. If a covered pitfall is taken for solid ground, an animal could be trapped. A danger is sometimes hidden. And then... To save you a little bit, 
save a little bit of this. Here's the line that I love in the box in the center. You know how the box in the center gives you a point that he wants you to get? And I love this line in here. Learn to see what things really are. How great of advice is that? And you're like, I'm trying so hard. And so you get these visuals. And Jesus is giving us these visuals. He's trying to explain. You've got to be able to perceive things. And I just love the humility of us all being able to say right now, I don't know that I always perceive reality very well. And if I'm not relying on Jesus, I'm going to stop when I need to go forward, and I'm going to, and I'm going to go forward when I need to stop. Now, just equate that to your, your economics. Where am I stopping and I should be going forward? And where am I going forward and I should be stopping? You could do that very easily. Now, Jesus is going to say, if your eye is bad, then your whole body's full of darkness. Uh, to go back to our image, this guy is in the dark about what matters about what's lasting, about what's ultimate, and about what's eternal. He has no grasp on ultimate reality. Um, And if the light that is in you is darkness, we've got to really explain this image. How great is the darkness? Uh, And here's the thing that I think points out what we're trying to say here. This is tricky. The whole world of of economics for the believer, for everyone in the world, really, is just very deceptive. You can... It's possible that what you think you see, the light that is in you, is actually darkness. That's a sobering thing. The light in you, so we're talking about your character. We're talking about what makes this body go. Its habits, the way it approaches life and reality. Does it know where to stop and does it know where to start? Jesus says, if what's guiding you, what you think is light, is dark... How great is that darkness? This is just the basic principle that there is no blindness like like being blind to your blindness. You don't even know you can't see. That's the deceptive piece here. It seems like light to me, but it's darkness. How great is that darkness? You think you're moving about just fine. You're about to walk through a plate of glass. There's just no sense of reality. We say, how darkness, how dark is that? No sense of reality, deprived of ultimate significance. If you refuse to see what Jesus is saying, then your heart is dark and you're unable to respond or act to the reality that he gives. 
But if you see correctly, here's what Willard writes. If you see correctly, our living also now becomes, comes into proper alignment with reality and our souls are now suited to deal with things because we see clearly. If the eye works well, he says, then the body easily moves about in its environment. It's full of light. So, the person who treasures what lies within the kingdom sees everything in its true worth and relationship. The person who treasures what's on earth, by contrast, sees everything from a perspective that distorts it and systematically misleads in practice. The relative importance of things in particular is misperceived. So, I'll just spend a couple minutes saying to you, well, what should I see? Like, what am I supposed to see? So when you come into the kingdom, you get these new eyes, you know, eyes that can distinguish what really matters and what really doesn't. And over the course of the lifetime, that ought to become clearer to all of us. All of us still don't see reality, even spiritual reality, the way we ought to every day. But it ought to be getting clearer. So what ought to be catching your eye now that maybe didn't catch your eye before Jesus entered in? As it relates to economics. And some of you asked me last week when, when, when it was over, what are heavenly treasures? Well, let's look at a couple of quick things, and then I want to give you a simple application, and, 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 and we'll be done. Um, so how can I have a healthy eye um, and be on the lookout and see reality as Jesus tells me to see it, you know, so I could see what's lasting? Well, we get help from two verses, and I just want to use them real quickly just as guidance here. Uh, he says to the rich, this is 1 Timothy. We looked at this text last, last week. He says to the rich, if you're rich, do good. Be rich in good works. So whatever this is, then there's something. Be generous, ready to share this is what it means, look it, to store up treasure, which is essentially what Jesus said in Matthew 6. It's like Paul's just quoting him. But he gives, us a couple of, he gives us a couple of things to help us understand what that looks like, storing up treasure. All right? Uh, and you got two things here. You got, you got certain activities... And then, obviously, generous and ready to share has to do with, you know, people that you invest in. So you've got these activities, I think he's describing, and people. We'll, we'll, we'll tease it out real quickly here in a second. And I think the people thing comes out in Luke 16. This is my favorite all time. I don't think anything is more profoundly said than Luke 16 on money to the believer. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. We're supposed to be the sons of light. We're supposed to be able to see it all. 
But yet people who live in this world, who are in the dark, tend to know what to do with their money in their world better than we do in our world, in the new kingdom, in the kingdom that we're in. So I tell you, Jesus says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, that's money in the, t- in the context, so that when it fails, uh, they, people, will receive you into eternity. When you get to heaven, there'll be people there who are there and were benefited by you. Maybe there because of you. So we're talking about people, and we're talking about activities that are heavenly oriented. Let's, let's, let's talk about this very quickly. Um, so I'm going to give you two principles, two, two things that you just sort of help you, sort of guide you on this. Uh, woven into the fabric of your life, your economic existence. Uh, here's the first thing. There ought to be a set and determined amount of income that immediately is earmarked for not you or your family. That's the first thing. That's a life oriented toward there is a portion of my world that when it comes to me, it's not mine. That's the orientation of every believer. Okay? Uh, Not here to tell you how much that is. You figure that out with God. That's your job to do with God. That is not my job to tell you. Okay? Uh, So built into your bottom line and your top line, your income and your outgo, built into it, ought to be a heavenly orientation, whatever that means for you. Some options. I can tell you a little bit about just briefly. So my own world, many of your worlds look just like mine. Um, You know, I'm a part of this church. I'm I'm in this community. um, it's my, it's in my community. It's, it's also my spiritual hub. It's the hub of my spiritual life. Um, I, I, I support the things that this church does. This is where I get my spiritual sort of life from. Um, so I support the things that it does. That's why I give to it. A portion of my income comes here regularly. It's just part of the economic world that I'm in. And um, I want it to be resourced. I don't want the things that we love to do around here not to be able to do because we didn't give. And I don't think it's fair if you're giving and I'm not. So I, that's, the, that's sort of how my economic brain works. Okay? Uh, and so, because of this church, I'm connected to all kinds of missions and missionaries. And I get to sort of partner with them. I, you know, two weeks ago, I was in St. Petersburg for two days in a week, sitting at a board meeting with Hope Partners International, discussing what Kirk's doing in seven Hope Centers, and, you know, on three continents, six countries, what we're doing in Ukraine. We support a piece of that pie, but I sit on a board of the whole thing. And so to sit for an entire day, all day Thursday, just talking 
about what God's doing in those places, hearing from the directors of the Hope Centers and just going, oh my gosh, is there anywhere else in the world I'd rather be sitting than right here hearing this? Look what God is doing. So I'm involved in activities that are doing godly works and investing in those. I just got back last night from spending two days in Kansas City where I sat with a group of coaches in the inner city. They came from different places. They're, they're high school coaches, men and women, who, who work with kids who don't have enough to eat every day. And it's really hard for your kids to excel athletically if they're not eating on top of protecting them from guns and and getting shot from the uh, inner city gangs and stuff like that that are going on. These coaches' hands are full, but these guys are godly men and women who feel called to, to love these kids, to be fathers to them who don't, when they don't have fathers, mothers who don't have mothers. You sit in a room with 40 of those folks and hear their stories and their passion and the sacrifices they make. They make nothing. But they not only worry about their families, they worry about their kids. I sit on the board of that ministry, and I love it. I love coaches. So God will just grab your heart on something. And those are the activities you're involved in. Now, you don't necessarily get to be in every school and touch every coach. You're involved in the activity that deals with those coaches. So one day in heaven, it'll be recognized that you were a part of it, and you'll meet a coach you'd never met on this earth. He's there because you invested in that. That's true of anything you're involved in. These are just the godly kingdom things going on that God will touch your heart to be a part of. These are things he's touched my heart to be a part of. Uh, Then finally, so the first thing is a set part of your income ought to be going to stuff. It's not yours. Weekly, monthly, whatever it is. It's not yours. Okay? Okay. You wrestle with God on what that ought to look like. Second thing is, is then on top of that, now you're just looking for needs. You run around, you're in a community, you see people who are hurting. There's people around you. You know, there's people around you who are hurting right now. Keep your eyes open. Somebody might be really in need of gas or food. Everything is hard. And if it was already hard, then what is it now for somebody? You just keep your eyes and ears open because God may want to use some of your resources to give to somebody else. So, I, so, you, so you're looking for needs. After you've got your set stuff going on, then you're just, your eyes are just open. And then, and then I look, you look for needs and you look for adventures. You get big and little needs. Some People might need more help than others at a given time. But then there's also these adventures God will send you on. He'll grab a hold of your heart. And usually, you know what? A lot of people say no to adventures that God could put them on because they are, um, because of money. Uh, 
you'd be willing to go on an adventure. It could be a mission trip. You know, like the kids just went to San Antonio, you go somewhere else in the world. One of our mission trips, or you get on one of your for yourselves, get out there and get mixed up in something, and then all of a sudden you'll realize what you ought to be doing with your money. Don't stay cooped up in a comfortable little world. And I'm very tempted to do that. And I'm fortunate to have, and this is my final application to you, there are people around you who are good at this. Look at them and mimic them. The most important thing that's ever happened to me in my life when it re- as it relates to generosity, because I'm mostly a scaredy cat when it comes to giving. How many of you are scaredy cats when it comes to giving? You're just a scaredy cat. Okay, good. You admitted it. You're a scaredy cat when it comes to adventures. I'm a scaredy cat, but I'm around people who are not scaredy cats. Ooh, I want to just hit it right now. They're not scaredy cats to give, and they're not scaredy cats to go. And these people drag me into all kind of stuff I wouldn't normally be a part of if it wasn't for them. Thank God for them, or I'd never move. Uh, I'll just close with this. Um, so, you know, um, I, I thought about running through a list of the people who do that for me, but it would be unfair to them. So I decided not to, except for one, uh, Chris Chance. So Chris Chance is a fella here who, uh, his wife, Acacia, he, he's a missions-hearted guy, uh, lost his job two months ago. It's not the first time he's lost it in, in the world that he's in, and so two months without work right now. Can you imagine? Scary. I've, I've wept with him. Over the last month, we've spent a little more time together than normal for different reasons. And I mean, it's been hard. We had a kid get married, kid graduate, and out of a job for two months. And now he's a little scared. So we've cried over that, prayed over things. But he's a missions-minded guy. He and a few other fellows here in this church started a ministry called Sanctuary for missionaries that come into the United States and just need reprieve. And he's, they, they just recently launched that. And so um, I'm with Kirk, and Kirk says to me, hey, what do you think? Should I ask Chris to go to Romania with me? Because I just got back from Romania not long ago. He said, what do you think? Should I ask Chris? I said, are you kidding? Chris couldn't, he, he'd just fall all over himself to go to Romania with you. So Chris, so Kirk funded. That's where he's been the last nine days. Nine days in Romania, Kirk says, hey, how would you like to come out here? This is a man without a job. He's got a wife at home. She was happy to see him go for nine days. (laughs) Not just because she was happy to see him go, because she knew that nothing lights his eyes up. Nothing makes his heart beat faster than missions. So we've been crying over this, and then he walks into my office the, Friday, the morning that he was about to leave. And he pops in there like this. And he goes, I'm leaving today, baby. And I'm going, you don't have, in my head, I'm going, you don't have a job. You, you. Me, I'd be home going, oh, my God. <laughs> he's on a plane. He's in Romania. And I just saw his eyes light up. And I saw his heart beat fast in that kind of situation. Now, what, is that, what would that do to you if that guy popped into your office? He leaves, and, you know, you're happy for him, and then you go, I'm such a dirtbag. 
I'm such a scaredy cat dirtbag. And what would I do if Chris wasn't in my life? If the Chris's of my life, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't do anything. Look around. Part of what you ought to see are people who are doing this well and mimic them. Father, we thank you for our time. You've challenged us enough today. We love you. Open our eyes. Help us to see where we've stopped short and missed an opportunity or where we have just headlong moved right into something that did not serve us well, not kingdom-wise. Help us to see it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.